0: Friends, every day we hear a cacophony of voices that compete for our attention. They are everywhere. Newspaper reports, politicians on TV, friends, relatives, co-workers, so-called healthcare experts, employers, Facebook, your favorite WhatsApp group, And they're all seeking to inform and shape you, to indoctrinate you, to rule you, to make you wise according to this age. But as Christians, we know another voice, and it is the only voice that matters. This voice is the voice of our King who calls us to follow Him. And so I am going to now ask you to do the most revolutionary and world-defying thing you can ever do. I'm going to ask you to say no to the wisdom of the world and say yes to the wisdom of God. So please turn with me, if you dare, to God's Word in faith. And let's turn the world upside down together. Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 12 to 20. 1 Corinthians 6 12 to 20. Hear now the Word of God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated. that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would now open our eyes to see your glorious purposes for our bodies. Fill us now with your Spirit so that we might reject the wisdom of the world that we might flee from sexual immorality and present our bodies to You as instruments of righteousness. Teach us to control our bodies in holiness and honor as is fitting for the saints of Christ. In His name we pray, amen. Friends, one of the greatest threats To the holiness of the church today is sexual immorality. But it's not a new threat. It's a very old one and it's rooted in idolatry. It is rooted in an impulse to dethrone God and to set up a new God, namely ourselves. And having crowned ourselves as gods, We then determine for ourselves what sex is for, when to have it, with who to have it, and how to have it. And where two or three or perhaps thousands are gathered in the name of the God of self, there you have the collective phenomenon that we call culture. Culture represents beliefs and behaviors and practices that are common and unique to a particular people group, but because we're still thinking and talking about people, we must realize that every culture is also rooted in idolatry. We have rejected the wisdom of God's Word and we have become wise in our own eyes. Therefore cultural wisdom cannot save us nor sanctify us, make us holy. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 19 that the wisdom of this world is folly with God. God knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows the thoughts of those scientific experts of the day who say a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. And he calls those thoughts futile. He stands over such wisdom in judgment. Judgment. And the world that stands opposed to God is very loud, beloved. It is very loud in its opposition, especially when it comes to our sexuality. Proverbs 13 verse 16 says, A fool flaunts his folly. And so every culture flaunts its own wisdom concerning sex and sexuality. Every culture has its wise sayings. And so, some cultures who advocate premarital sex say, well, how will you know if you're sexually compatible for each other or not if you don't live together and sleep together? In other cultures, when a married man falls into sexual sin and commits adultery, the culture says, oh, it was the woman's fault. She must have seduced him. And as for the man, well, he's a man. He's being manly. How could he have not given in? And yet other cultures take a more casual approach. They say, oh, sex doesn't have to be about emotions and commitments. It can be just sex. It's just a biological appetite like like hunger or a need for sleep. Why make a big deal of it? Now, the Corinthians also had their sayings. And some of this cultural wisdom began to influence the church, particularly with regards to sex. When you read chapter 5 and chapter 6, it becomes clear that the sin of sexual immorality was rampant in the church. In chapter 5, we hear of the sin of incest. There was a man who was in an ongoing sexual relationship with his stepmother. Paul mentions sexual immorality three times in chapter 5, and in chapter 6, he makes mention of the sins of adultery and homosexuality as well. And in this passage, he also mentions prostitution. Make no mistake, sexual sin was defiling the church. And so Paul writes, them, writes to them to, to teach them how to think Christianly about sex. The church is called to be holy, he says. She must mourn over sin and celebrate holiness. Anyone who continues in unrighteousness like sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. And those who are in the kingdom and under the saving rule of Christ will know His transforming power and repent of their sins. Now, some of the members of the church in Corinth had, had formerly been sexual sinners, but they had heard the message of the cross and they had turned to Christ. And so you see these words in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul writes, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. While they were formerly steeped in the sins of their culture, these Corinthians had been changed, completely changed by the gospel. They had been set free from the power of sin's rule and they had been reconciled to God. This was the grace of God that was given them in Christ. But some of their leaders had their ears more tuned to the voices of their culture instead of the apostolic word. And some of these members began to live their lives according to this cultural wisdom. And so in this passage, Paul counters these expressions, these sayings of worldly wisdom with the wisdom of the Spirit of Christ. And he exhorts them to say no to sexual sin and to glorify God with their bodies. And friends, here's what we can learn from this passage If we are going to overcome sexual sin by the sanctifying power of the cross, then we need to understand four things. Number one, we need to understand the nature of Christian freedom. Number two, we must understand the purpose of the body. Number three, we must understand God's purpose for sex. And number four, we must understand the purpose of our redemption. Freedom, body, sex, and redemption. But first, let's consider what Paul teaches us about the nature of our freedom. Look at verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be dominated by anything. Now, if you look at the words in your Bibles, those words, all things are lawful for me, you will notice that the translators have put these in quotes. And this is because it is a Corinthian slogan or a saying. In order to make this more clear, some translations like the NIV and the NLT will add the words, you say, all things are lawful for me. Now, there are no quotation marks in the Greek text, so how do we know which which phrase is a saying and which is not? Or even more confusing, when does a quotation begin and when does it end? Well, there are a couple of ways to determine this, and I'll mention a few for those of you who might be curious. Well, number one, It helps to identify a saying. It helps if there's an introductory statement, like chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matter about which you wrote, and then you have the statement, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's It's a saying, something they wrote, and Paul's dealing with that. Number two, sometimes a statement can be introduced in an unusual, abrupt manner. So it just shows up. And that gives you a clue that this might be a saying. Number three, it helps if the phrase is repeated. It's repeated in this passage. It's repeated once again in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. Number four, it helps to identify a statement that it's a saying if it doesn't contain the Greek words that Paul usually uses. Number five, It helps if it's memorable and catchy. So, verse 13, food for the stomach and stomach for food. It's very catchy. It's pithy. It's a saying. Number six, it helps identify a statement as a saying if it contains theology that doesn't quite square with the rest of the Scriptures. And number seven, most importantly you will see a sharp counter-argument, as though Paul is having this imaginary conversation with someone. You see a sharp counter-argument. All things are lawful, but on the contrary, not all things are helpful. Or in Matthew, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus is not contradicting the law. No, he's attacking a pharisaical interpretation of the law. Now, there are many other things that we can consider, like the context. Does identifying the statement as a saying fit the context? What do faithful scholars think? How have Christians understood this text over the centuries and so on and so forth? So this is a saying, but what does it mean? What does this saying mean? Well, it appears that there were some people who thought that now that they were free in Christ, now that they were justified, now that they were not under the law but under grace, they could do whatever they wanted. All things were lawful or permissible, especially with regards to their sexual desires. And Paul says, but not all things are helpful. They're not profitable to our spiritual health. They do not aid in our holiness." A good example of this is watching movies. Friends, the Bible does not say that you should not watch movies, but if you choose to watch a movie that features a lot of scantily clad women, nudity, and on-screen sex, that's not helpful. It will stir up unholy thoughts. It will lead you into sin most often instantly. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28 to 29. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Metaphorically speaking. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Take a radical approach in fighting your sin. So before you watch a movie, ask yourselves these questions. Can I watch this movie to the glory of God? Can I give God thanks after watching it? Number two, is it going to help me weaken my sinful flesh or is it going to feed it and make it harder to fight lust? Number three, am I filling my mind with what is true and honorable and pure and lovely and commendable? Brothers and sisters, remember that these images will fuel your imagination and even your dreams. D.A. Carson writes, Imagination is a God-given gift. But if it is fed dirt by the eye, it will be dirty. All sin, not least sexual sin, begins with the imagination. Therefore, what feeds the imagination is of maximum importance in the pursuit of kingdom righteousness. Beloved, remember what Paul said in Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom... As an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But it looked like some of these Corinthians were using their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And this resulted in their sinful flesh becoming stronger and eventually enslaving their lives. And so to those who were saying, all things are lawful for me, Paul says, yes, but I will not be dominated or enslaved to anything. The cross has set me free from the power of sin. And if anything leads me into slavery, if it rules my life instead of Christ, if those desires start to control me, then I'm not living according to the wisdom of the cross. Freedom that leads to bondage is not true freedom. But these people not only had a skewed view of freedom, But they also had a low view of the body. And that brings us to our second point. We are going to overcome sexual sin by the sanctifying power of the cross. We must understand God's purpose for our bodies. The Corinthians may have been influenced by a philosophy that taught a very low view of the body. And so they thought that ultimately what mattered was the spirit of a person. What you did with the body was of no great consequence or significance since their spirits were saved. And therefore, the sexual drive or sexual desire was seen as a mere biological need, much like your appetite. And so here's the second saying. Look at verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The Corinthians were saying, look, fornication... That's just a biological urge, like hunger. In those days, people often linked these two things together, sexual appetite and, and, and the need for food. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're thirsty, you drink. When you have a sexual desire, you fulfill it. After all, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. In Mark seven nineteen. no restrictions. Eat what you want. And if people thought that sexual desires were like the desires for food, then surely they could think whatever they wanted about sex. They could have sex with whoever they wanted, no no restrictions. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Sex is meant for the body and the body meant for sex. And friends, even today, this is how many cultures think about sexual desires. People think that we are our sexual desires. Desires. They think of it as an identity marker and therefore it should not be surprising to to hear someone who has and has given into homosexual desires labeling themselves as gay. They will say, I am a gay man. I am a lesbian. They tie their identity to their sinful sexual desires. But beloved, we are more than just our desires sinful or otherwise now i think the niv the niv translation gets it right by extending the quotation marks to include and god will destroy both one and the other What they're saying is ultimately, all that is physical will be done away with. God will destroy everything like food and the stomach. All these transient material things that belong to this age will be done away with. And therefore, what we do with our bodies has no real lasting consequence. After all, we're people of the Spirit. This is why some of them were committing sexual sin and even visiting prostitutes. But Paul responds once again, this piece of cultural wisdom with true wisdom. Look at verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Paul says in the kingdom of God, bodies matter. We are not simply spirits who have bodies, no, we are embodied beings. This is how God made us. Our bodies are not prison houses for our souls from which we must break free to a higher spiritual realm. That's not Christianity. That's paganism. You won't believe how many Indian Christians believe this. It's paganism. Some of these Chris- Corinthians had such a view, low view of the body that they were going to prostitutes to gratify their sexual needs. And why not? The body doesn't matter. Beloved, our faith is greatly lacking if we do not have a theology of the body. We are both body and soul, or you could say body and spirit. The Bible uses those terms interchangeably, soul and spirit. It's the same thing, inner man and outer man. The body and soul are distinct, but they are inseparable. They are inseparable except in death. To be a human being is to be an embodied soul. God created man in this way. Genesis 2.7 Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living soul. Friends, our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He is our wise designer and He has beautiful and holy purposes for our bodies. Our bodies are not inferior to our souls. No, they have been invested with great dignity and honor. God did not give us bodies so that we can sin with them. They are not meant for sexual immorality, for sinful desires. No, they are meant for Him. They are subject to His Lordship. And that, and that means that it is His Word That ought to inform us what we do with our bodies. We are to use our bodies to serve Him and others. As Christians who trust in the gospel, we know that Christ has paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. He has freed us from its slavery. Sin is no longer our master. Christ is our Lord. Listen to Romans 6 verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is what the cross and resurrection has accomplished. And so in light of this new life in Christ, where sin is no longer our master, how should we use our our bodies according to the wisdom of the cross Romans 6, 12 to 13. Let not sin, therefore reign, rule in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't let it make you obey its passions. Say no to fornication. Say no to lustful thoughts. Say no to adultery, to pornography. Say no to homosexuality. Say no to prostitution. Say no to fantasizing. Today we have cute little words like crushes to disguise our lust. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members. He means parts of your body Your hands, your feet, your sexual organs, your minds, every part of you. Do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Friends, this means that it is God, who is Lord over our desires. Our desires are not God. Our desires are not sovereign. We should not give in to sexual immorality because sin has no power over you if you are in Christ. No Christian should say, I couldn't help it. Sin has no power over us because of what Christ accomplished on that cross. You need to believe that. You need to believe that and you need to act on it. When a sexual image comes into your mind, preach to yourself immediately and say to your thoughts, you are evil. Lord, forgive me of this thought Cleanse me of this wicked thought. Sin has no power over me because of the new life you have given me. Say no to your sinful thoughts. Tell yourself that the power of sin is gone. Jesus has been victorious. You are in him. And if you can't remember scripture in that moment. So that you can recite it to yourself if you are like me. Then sing. Sing the truths of Scripture. Sing sin-defeating, spirit-filled truths. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin, the double cure. Save from wrath and make you pure. Sing desperately. Sing loudly so that you can hear yourself. Beloved, these songs have the truths of Scripture in them that can kill your sinful thoughts. They will redirect your imagination to Calvary so that you can picture your Savior. See from His head, His hands, His feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down, did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. You know, it's hard to sustain a lustful thought when you're thinking of the cross. Go to Calvary and fight your sin there. Because that's where your temptation will die. Remember what Christ did for you. Only the gospel has the power to kill temptation. And don't stop there. Praise God when He helps you overcome your lustful thoughts. Give thanks to him. Kill sin with gratitude. And then don't be idle. Look for ways to serve someone near you in love. Pursue the obedience of faith. Brothers and sisters, do not give in to sexual immorality. God's design for sexual expression is between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. Anything outside of that is unlawful, immoral, unhelpful, enslaving, unwise, unloving, and unholy. And therefore, we cannot give in to sinful sexual desires and say, this is the way God made me. No, He didn't. The body is not made for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. For the believer, this means that the Lord is for us and He is with us when we pursue sexual purity. He will hold you fast. God is working in you as you seek to trust in the wisdom of His Word and pursue holiness in your bodies as you say no to sinful sexual desires and pursue everything that is praiseworthy and lovely and pure and honorable oh friends he's not just interested in the purity of your body in this age he's going to glorify your body one day so that you will be free from the presence of sin and all its consequences look at verse 14 Here's why what you do with your body matters. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. When Christ returns, He will resurrect from the dead all those who have died in Christ and He will give us new resurrection bodies. He will do this with the same power that He used to raise Jesus from the dead. Listen to Romans 8 verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Beloved, this is our great hope. And this hope ought to inform how we live our lives in the present. The doctrine of the resurrection of the saints teaches us that our bodies ought to be dedicated to the Lord in all purity. Beloved, we pursue purity in the present because we will be glorified in the future. This God is for us. His resurrection power is available to us in the pursuit of purity. Our pursuit of purity is empowered because we are united to the resurrected Son of God. Look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! The very thought of sinning in this way is unthinkable for Paul and it is unthinkable because believers... Christians are in union with the resurrected Christ. We are united to Him by the Holy Spirit through faith. Paul says, Our bodies, our physical bodies, are members of Christ, not just your souls. I want you to see that in the text. They are His members. You cannot take his members and unite them with a prostitute. Notice the taking and making language in the text. When a Christian has sex with a prostitute, you're involving the Lord in that act. It is a vile an immoral act. You are taking what belongs to God and you are uniting, making them the body parts of a prostitute. What a grotesque picture. And Paul says, may it never be. But you might say, well, I understand that my body is united with with Christ, but why does the sexual act make my members, that is Christ's members, how does it make it the members of a prostitute? And friends, that brings us to our third point. If we're going to overcome sexual sin by the power of the cross, then we need to understand God's purpose for sex. Look at verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And beloved, it is here that we get to see God's holy purpose for the sexual act. Sex is not dirty. Sex is beautiful and wonderful. God created sex and He made it for pleasure and He made it for procreation in marriage. Sex is God's gift to us and it is a sign of His goodness. Sex is the most intimate physical act between a husband and a wife. It is a bond like no other, a physical union like no other. It's not casual. It's designed to take place in the covenant of marriage in the context of committed, Christ like, self denying, servant hearted love, where there is safety and security, where a man and his wife can be naked and unashamed. Friend, sex is more than just a physical act, it is profoundly spiritual. It is profoundly spiritual because our bodies are not just made of bone and muscle. We are embodied souls. It is profoundly spiritual and emotional. It is deeply relational. Sex is the divinely ordained glue that makes two people one. It is God who joins a husband and a wife. It is He who makes two people one. God designed sexual union to irreversibly bind a couple together. Jesus said so himself in Matthew 19, verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It is this uniting, joining, bonding effect of sex in a relationship That makes the breakdown of a relationship in marriage so painful and heartbreaking. Because that is not what we were designed for. Brothers and sisters, we are not designed for casual sex. Nor are we designed for multiple sexual partners. But that's not all. God intended marriage to be a display of the gospel to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church the physical one flesh union in sex points to our union with Christ and so if sex is the shadow then the church's union with Christ is the reality now our union with Christ is not sexual it is nothing like the shadow we are united to him through the spirit And so Paul says, don't you realize when you go to a prostitute and you engage in a physical sexual act with her, you are entering into a one flesh union with her? And in doing so as a Christian, whether you are married or not, you are taking your members that belong and are united to Christ and you are making them members of a prostitute because that's what sex does. But what makes this more grievous is the next verse. Look at verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. See, Paul wants us to see the contrast between becoming one flesh, one body with the prostitute, and becoming one spirit with the Lord, flesh, spirit. Make no mistake, joining yourself to a prostitute is sin. It is sexual immorality. It violates the marriage one flesh union. But don't you realize, says Paul, that you sin against Christ himself? It is taking what he has joined by his death and resurrection, namely you, to himself, by his spirit, Taking that and trying to tear it apart and join it to something else. It is an assault on Christ and His gospel. And it stands violently opposed to the wisdom of the cross. And beloved, that is so dangerous. That is spiritual adultery. Before it is a sin against your body and your wife or that prostitute. It is an offense against your Savior. Some of you have been joining yourself in your minds to digital prostitutes as you watch pornography. Remember what Jesus said, to lust in your mind is to have committed that act already. Brothers and even sisters, you are not beyond this. Sexual sin is dangerous. It is evil. God takes it very seriously and it is personal. Or do you not know that he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him? This is so dangerous that Paul commands the Corinthians to flee. Look at verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. You don't manage lust. You don't manage sexual sin. You don't regulate it. You flee. It will destroy you. Run for your lives. Do you not know that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God? Friends, we must be willing to do whatever it takes to honor our union with Christ and run, run from any situation that might pose a threat to it. And that includes being alone in your room with your phone or your laptop, if you think that's going to be a threat to your purity. Friends, we ought to be like Joseph, who fled Potiphar's house when Potiphar's wife made sexual advances towards him. Joseph did not give in, even though his boss's wife was powerful. He did not sleep with her and then the next day take out his phone and tweet hashtag me too. No, he fled and he suffered for it because pleasing God was more important to him than a successful career or comfort. And Moses tells us that the Lord was with him in his trials. Beloved, is your relationship with Christ more important than your comforts, your careers? Today, we want victory over sin without being willing to deny ourselves or suffer for righteousness' sake. Beloved, what are you willing to give up for the sake of sexual purity? Do you remember what Joseph said to Potiphar's wife? Genesis 39, verse 9, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Beloved, sin involves you as a person, body and soul. It involves your mind. Your mind is a part of your body. You need to know this. This is why when you get stressed, you get ulcers. When you're fearful, your blood pressure goes up. But when the Corinthians thought about sin, they only thought that it was a spiritual issue. Sin was something that happened apart from the body. What you did with the body was of no moral consequence. And so they would justify their behavior in this way. Here's yet another saying. Look at verse 18. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now when you look at this text, It does seem like Paul is making a distinction between sexual sin and other sins, doesn't it? Now, it's true in some sense that sexual sin is different, at least with regards to its consequences. But that's not Paul's point here. His point is that the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You see that word other, every other sin, that word other is not in the original text. And so it simply reads every sin a person commits is outside the body. Now that doesn't square with what the rest of Scripture teaches about sin, does it? Doesn't drunkenness or gluttony involve the body? Doesn't the Bible teach us? That everything starts with a sinful desire in the heart. That's where it begins. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. No, it's more likely that this also is a Corinthian saying. And so the Holman Christian Standard Bible puts this verse also in quotes. This too was a false cultural belief that they used to justify their immoral behavior. And so Paul says, but on the contrary... Sorry to burst your bubble. The sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Paul says sexual sin is not outside and apart from the body. It is defiling. And here's why. Here's why. Look at verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? See, the Corinthians prided themselves to be a spiritual people. They had the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit were certainly manifest among them. And what Paul does here is that he shows them how incompatible cultural wisdom is with the wisdom of God's Word. Trusting in cultural wisdom empties the cross of its sanctifying power. And it hinders our pursuit of sexual purity. Beloved, what you do with your body sexually matters. It matters because the Holy Spirit dwells in your body. Your body is a temple. It's the dwelling place of God the Holy Spirit whom you received from God because of the work of Christ on the cross. And that means that we must be concerned about the holiness of the body. This is God's will for us. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You see what he's saying? You know God. Control your body in holiness and in honor. Friends, how can we commit acts of sexual immorality when the one who unites us to our Savior and every sanctifying blessing that comes from Him? When we grieve Him and when we sin against Him. Every time you are tempted to sin sexually, remember this. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. The Spirit of Christ is with you. Let that remind you that you are joined to your Savior. You are not sovereign over your body. He is. He is. And this brings us to our fourth and final point. If we are going to overcome sexual sin by the sanctifying power of the cross... And we must understand the purpose of our redemption. The purpose of our redemption. Look at verses 19 to 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus Christ, who purchased you at a cost, the cost of His own blood. So glorify Him. Make much of Him in your body. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it like this, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That word bought is the language of redemption. And it points us to what Jesus did on the cross for sexual sinners. Friends, none of us None of us have used our bodies, even our minds, like God intended. Instead of submitting ourselves to His goodness and lordship over our bodies, we have all gone astray. We have forgotten our Maker. We have forgotten His good and wise design for our bodies, and we have sinned in so many ways. And for that, every human being stands under the judgment of God. But here's the good news. This God who gave us our bodies, even when we sinned against Him and sinned against our bodies, He demonstrated His love towards us by doing something absolutely astonishing. He entered the world in the person of His Son and took on a human body. And He kept the law and He glorified God in His body. That's what Jesus did. And then he offered his body as a sacrifice for sin. A single, once for all offering for all who would repent of their sin and put their trust in him. And on that third day, he rose from the dead. That body began to breathe by the power of God. By the power of the Spirit, He rose to new life with a new resurrection body. Friends, it is through faith in Him that we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are set free from our bondage to sin. If you're not a Christian, I don't know what kind of sins have power over you. Perhaps you're ashamed to talk about it because some of those sins might be sexual. Friend, come to Christ. Turn from your sins and put your trust in His saving death. And He will free you from the power of sin. He will give you the power to overcome your temptations and He will help you know true freedom. Turn to Christ. Brothers, because we are united to Him through His Spirit, the Spirit who dwells in our bodies, we can trust Him. We can call on Him for strength to overcome our temptations to sexual sin. He lives in you. He's not far from you. He lives in you. Call on Him for help. So let me ask you, how's your relationship with Him? How's your relationship with Christ? How's your communion, your fellowship with Him? Friends, cling to Christ and marvel at the cross. Your life is not your own. You belong to Him both now and for all eternity and nothing can separate you from His holy love. The purpose of our redemption is worship. And that involves our bodies. He bought us for Himself so that we might glorify Him. Titus 2 verse 14 says... Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And that includes glorifying him with our bodies. And that includes our minds, our hands, our feet, our sexual organs. You are not your own. You are not your own. He calls the shots, not you. His word tells you what to do with your bodies. His word is authoritative. Your desires are not God. No, it is the word of Christ that is authoritative over our bodies, over our sexuality. You are not your own. Your feelings don't have ownership over you. Your family doesn't have ownership over you. Your government does not have ownership over you and certainly not your culture. You have been bought by Christ at a great cost. It is what we do with our bodies that demonstrates who we are in Christ. When Paul tells the Romans to offer their bodies as living sacrifices, to glorify God with their bodies, do you know what he tells them? He tells them to serve one another in faith. He tells them to teach, to contribute generously, to show hospitality. Friends, all that we are called to do as Christians involve our body parts. It involves our mouths for speaking, our hands for serving and for cooking. Whatever Christ calls us to do requires our bodies, and that requires us to know what He's calling us to do. That requires us to know His Word and to be filled with the Spirit who empowers us to fulfill what we were made for, what we were redeemed for. Brothers and sisters, are you glorifying God with your bodies? Is there something that you need to repent of today? If there is, go to Christ and He will wash away all your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all sexual unrighteousness. If you're going to glorify Him with your bodies, you need to know what He says. Are you listening to His Word? Are you listening to His voice in the Scriptures? Friends, every day we hear a cacophony of voices that compete for our attention. They're everywhere. Newspaper reports, politicians on TV, friends, relatives, co-workers, so-called health experts, employers, Facebook, your favorite WhatsApp group, they're all seeking to inform and shape you, to indoctrinate you, to rule you, to make you wise according to this age. But as Christians we know another voice, and it is the only voice that matters. This voice is the voice of our King who calls us to follow Him. And so I'm going to now ask you to do the most revolutionary And world-defying thing you can ever do, I'm going to ask you to say no to the sexual wisdom of the world and say yes to the wisdom of God as revealed in the Word of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we confess that when temptation comes upon us like a flood, Lord, we are weak. And most often we are weak because we have chosen to feed our flesh instead of starving it to death. Forgive us, O Lord. Father, help us now to trust in the wisdom of Your Word. May we marvel at the cost of our redemption. May we marvel at Your great love as we look at Christ. And as we do that, O Lord, empower us to pursue purity in our bodies. Fill us with resurrection power. Draw near to us so that we might control our bodies with honor and holiness. Hold fast to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.